0: Our sermon text today is Acts 26, 24 to 32. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. His defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul Paul replied, short time or long? I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may, come, may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor, and Bernice, and those sitting with them. And they left the room, and they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man should have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is God's word. Please remain standing and pray with me for the message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we ask for this boldness that Paul has. We ask that you would anoint the lips of our pastor today and be with him and give us ears to hear at Refuge Church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I hope that you all have a great holiday this weekend. Um, were the kids not dismissed? We forgot to dismiss the kids to Sunday school. Yeah, so. If you're in here um, and you should be in Sunday school, you can exit now. But um, it's so good to see everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you have a great Thanksgiving this this week. I um, just want to encourage the, the people of God to invite people into your home that might not be um, a common face. I know we get kind of in, into our traditions as families to go to aunts or uncles or moms or dads, but just remember people who might not have family or friends to enjoy the holiday with invite invite them to your house and just be hospitable to them and um, it's going to be a great time and I hope that you do too you have a wonderful Thanksgiving but um, God bless you all thanks for being here this morning how many people have experienced uh, what Paul had experienced in this moment um, where (laughs) we're considered perhaps a touch insane (laughs) for what we believe um, we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and that we have the hope of eternal life because of it. And I know our modern minds, just to be quite honest, seems, you know, if you're not, uh, I guess, a faith-minded or religious person, it sounds a little nuts. <laughs> so, and, and you know what? Guess what? Nothing new. We sort of think that we look back down the quarters of time 2,000 years ago that, you know, people must have just believed this stuff because they were you know they were supernaturally oriented and they had that kind of worldview already so it was just kind of easy for them to swallow that Jesus resurrected from the dead quite the opposite and this is proof of that they were not prone to believe in the resurrection everything in them was prone to reject it and we see that very clearly in here so we have something in common with them today in our culture uh, we just left Paul in the pre- presence of vast nobility. Now, we're going through the book of Acts. We're almost done, actually. There's just a couple of chapters left in the book. And then we're going to go into, um, into uh, the, um, the Advent season. We're going to begin talking about the, the birth and coming of Christ and um, everything that surrounds that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And by the way, we're going to have a really great Christmas Eve celebration here. Um, last year, we did something called Santa at the Manger. It was like a week before. We're kind of building that into our Christmas Eve service this year. So you'll learn more about that. You'll get invitations, and hopefully we can get a good amount of people out here and have fun and uh, just enjoy our, our neighbors in the community. So, but, um, <clears throat> but we're in the Book of Acts, and we're almost done with the Book of Acts. And Acts really is about the earliest Christianity. If you don't know what Christianity is or where it came from, Acts is where to go because that's really how the church started. It's where it came from. So we left Paul, uh, we've been through 26 chapters now, and we've seen a lot in the book of Acts, and the, really the life and the work and the ministry of Paul started all the way back in chapter 9, when Paul became a believer in Jesus Christ. And eventually, over the course of the book of Acts, we learned that he was sent out to the ends of the earth to deliver the gospel, and he went to synagogues, he went to pagans, he went all over the place. And we left him um, a, a while back, leaving Ephesus which is a city in Greece. He had started a church in Ephesus, and they were all weeping at his departure because he said, I need to go to Jerusalem. And so he leaves, he gets to Jerusalem, and he goes through major persecution there. He's basically arrested, and in chap- from chapters 24 to 26, he's on trial, and that's where we are right now. We continue his trial. So Paul, last week, we saw him recounting his conversion story, how he came to believe in Jesus Christ to King Agrippa. So we left him in the presence of vast nobility, not as a guest of honor, um, but decorated and praised, but he's in chains, he's on trial. A great royal audience is meeting Paul today with all of their pomp and all of their glory. So he's trying to explain to them How he became a Christian. How Paul, a Jew, who once persecuted the church, killed the church, now is a follower of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? So he's trying to present this and defend himself um, towards very angry crowds and towards this judicial system. So he's in front of this great royal audience with all their pomp and with all their glory. Why is he even there? Remember he appealed to Caesar in his last trial and this required the governor, his name is Festus, Um, this required Festus to send Paul to Rome. He had to now, okay? It's true that Paul could have been released had he not appealed to Caesar. We see this when Agrippa says, if you recall, this man isn't doing anything that deserves imprisonment or death. So at that point, But because he appealed to Caesar, to Caesar he goes. They could have released him. Paul, knowing this, decides to appeal to Caesar and stay in prison longer. Why on earth would anyone do this? Maybe he is out of his mind. (laughs) So why did he do this? Have you ever seen a movie with a twist? How many people like those the most? I love those. I'm like, yes, thank you, I found one. You never know what they are because they don't tell you that. Right? But this kind of story isn't anything new. The, I think the greatest movie, with the, the one that I enjoyed the most, um, with the movie with the twist, is The Sixth Sense. You ever seen this movie? What a great movie. But in The Sixth Sense, um, <clears throat> you learn, basically what these are about is you learn what the movie's really about at the end, not at the beginning. Okay? You think it's about something, then at the end, you're like, oh, it's really about that. And in The Sixth Sense, you learn that the story is about a man who doesn't realize that he died. At the beginning, you think it's about a boy who sees ghosts, right? But at the end, you realize, oh, this isn't about him at all. It's not about his story or his struggle. It's about this poor disembodied soul who doesn't know how to find heaven or hell. Bad theology, of course, but good movie. (laughs) Um, Now, if you've ever seen the movie Terminator 2, it's the exact opposite. They tell you right at the beginning, this movie is about cyborgs from the future bent on taking over the universe, right? And it's really, the movie is just that drama getting unfolded right? So here we have, in Acts 24 through 26, a sixth sense thing going on. We might think in chapter 24, when Paul's arrested, that this is really just about Paul's struggle, his trial, his defense, his innocence, right? It may seem really that it's about his suffering, but it isn't. It's not about his suffering. We learn why Paul decides to stay in prison, decides to go on to this royal tour all the way to Rome in verse 29. He says to Agrippa, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am, except without these chains. He decides to take on suffering so that the people who are causing the suffering would be released through the gospel. That's what this is about. It's not about Paul's trial. It's not about his pain. It's about his desire to persuade people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, that their spiritual chains would be loosed. So he would take on physical chains so that their spiritual chains would be loosed. Paul was there to persuade, great and small alike, that Jesus was alive alive from the dead. Agrippa needed to hear it, Festus needed to hear it, and friend, you need to hear it. Jesus is alive. He came, Paul came to, uh, excuse me, Jesus came to rescue any repentant sinner from infinite separation from God. That's why he was there. That's why Paul was there, pleading to this great royal crowd, to Agrippa and Festus, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now how do you persuade? anybody how do you persuade modern minds that jesus christ is the messiah that they essentially should turn from their possessions and their passions and affections and follow jesus exclusively now you might be sitting here today and you're wondering why on earth would i do that i like my relationships i like my husband my wife my aspirations for family and for wealth why on earth would i follow jesus christ friend how can i persuade you how did paul persuade agrippa did he persuade Agrippa? But how, how do we persuade anyone to do that, that Jesus is more lovely, more beautiful, that he's the pearl of great price, the treasure that we think is going to buy us happiness, whatever that might be, that Jesus is worth more? I'm here, friend, to tell you today that that's true, to persuade you, to persuade you. you so, well, I'm already a Christian. I'm already a believer. But do you live like that? <clears throat> we forget, as Christians, to stir up, the gospel affection in our hearts we get distracted we go back to just similar patterns we forget that we have a hope of eternal life that jesus christ is better he's better a great the greatest question i think that we can ask i'm the point of this sermon is how do we persuade what did what was paul doing to persuade his hearers to believe the gospel how do any of us come to believe anything how are we persuaded by anything what do we use to inform ourselves to know if something is true? I could, I could come up here and take this mic and say anything. I could say, Captain Crunch will save your life. Right? Like, I could make up whatever I want to make up. How, and, and you know, right? So we all know that. We're all skeptical. We're all Americans. We all test things. And, that, and we should. So what's Paul doing is, is, is faith or just a blind, uh, a blind leap. And that's what I want to look at. There's a great question. 300 years ago... The Enlightenment taught us <clears throat> that reason reigns, right? The only way that you can know if anything is true is if you can test it with the scientific method, right? Empirical proof. And, and, and this is sort of carried on even to this day, even though it's 300 years old. But for secular pre- people, I don't know if you know this, but this is kind of falling off. Uh, even, even secular people who are not Christians are starting to doubt that this is really the, the absolute test of truth. Or where we get truth from. Secular people today, you know, we call them postmoderns. They have this cultural conditioning type of view. In other words, we come to believe things based on our culture. So the values that we have, the ethics that we have, if you want to be rich, if you want to have a house with a, uh, a white... Do you, do you think in India that their, that their dream, that the Indian dream, is to have a house with a white picket fence and two kids and a dog? It's not. <laughs> it just isn't. They have dreams there. but So, so the point is that the post, postmodern culture believes that we don't so much determine what's right or true for us based on reason alone. We base it on, on more on cultural conditioning. What do mom and dad think? What does our culture think? And we just kind of sort of fall in line to this type of way of thinking. Both have flaws. Both have positive. Both, both have flaws. My point is to not take apart whether or not these things are valid, but just to introduce to you that every single person has a different way of coming to believe what they believe, <clears throat> whether it be reason, whether it be culture. As a matter of fact, a simplified way to look at this is called a Wesleyan, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Now that's a heavy word. It's just named after, John, uh, after one of the Wesleys I think it's either John or Charles. I think it's John. But he basically said the quadrilateral is like a four-point component system, right? Where he said there are four ways that all of us come to know anything, to believe anything at all, and these are the four ways: reason, tradition, scripture, or experience. So, if you believe anything at all, you're getting that information from. You're, you're testing it, in other words, through either your own reason. Does this make sense? Or tradition? You say, "Well, we don't. We, we don't." believe things because they're traditional Oh, don't you (laughs) right we we kind of think that all of us in our culture just use reason alone but but friends it's just not true Uh, even in our culture and it's very modern it's very intelligent but even in our culture we just kind of take things from our fathers and say okay we don't really test them it's just it's just kind of we we assume that they did the research and that they're right and and we just kind of carry it but reason tradition scripture and experience Different cultures and worldviews utilize all of these. They, they, they're basically their authority for truth. So in other words, let me explain this to you. In a highly religious authority, if something isn't making sense, what do they turn to first? In a religious culture, they'll turn to scripture. Well, what does the scripture say? And if it doesn't make reasonable sense in their mind, they won't, they'll say, okay, it doesn't really matter because scripture says it. I don't have to make sense of it. Okay, do you follow that? Well, in a highly secular culture, reason will reign. So if scripture's not saying, making sense, they'll say, well, the scriptures are incorrect, reason reigns. You see, there's a hierarchy. But they're all, in, in every culture, I think there's an element of each, um, in, uh, of each of these in those cultures. Even though different cu- cultures utilize different ones of them, for some reason reigns, for other experience reigns, for other tradition or scripture. But Paul, what's interesting here is Paul doesn't just choose one. He doesn't just say, I'm just gonna reason with you. He doesn't just, he doesn't say, I'm just gonna use the scriptures with you. He actually uses three, we'll get to those in a moment. Paul appeals to many of these in his persuasion. And these, the ones he appeals to are reason, scripture, and the heart. So now the heart, I'll, I'll call the heart for, because I like it better than calling it experience. Um, but that would fit, I think, into the experience category. He appeals to reason, to scripture, and to the heart. And any presentation of the gospel should appeal to these. You want to know why? Because we're not just walking brains. And we're not just walking hearts. We are walking brains and hearts. (laughs) right? We have all of these things in us, and if any of us are persuaded by anything, it's because it's appealing to our reason. It's appealing to our own experience. All of these kind of categories are kind of mixed in, and eventually we come to be persuaded by something, and that's what I want to talk about. Paul is persuading Agrippa by appealing to his good senses, his common sense and reason. He's, he's appealing to the scriptures, and he's appealing to his heart or his, or, or the, his experience, And this is what I want to look at today, because some of you might not know Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that Christians should appeal to reason. And we'll get to that in a moment. And that's our first point, reason. How did Paul persuade them through reason? He first appeals to reason. Isn't that interesting? Because I think a common stereotype of Christianity is that we don't really care if it doesn't make sense. We don't really care if it's not reasonable. Um, If you know, it it doesn't matter what's true or what's not true. I just kind of want it to be true, right? So, but Paul first appeals to reason. Festus has enough of Paul. Did you see this? He's listening to Paul. We kind of missed it at the start of our text. Paul went through this long speech. And at the start of our text that we read, Festus Festus is like, I almost said Festivus, for those of you who appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Festus is like, enough of this, Paul. You are out of your mind," (laughs) he shouted. "Your great learning is driving you insane." He interrupts him. He is so tired of hearing this nonsense that he just has to cry out and say, "You are an idiot, Paul. You're smart, but something along the line, somewhere along the line, you have just kind of gone off the grid, right? And 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 have you ever known someone who is just super intelligent that that's happened to? Like something just kind of breaks." And they're just, they're just, they turn insane, right? So I've kind of seen that happen to certain friends of mine where they just kind of adapt these very bizarre things. And, and I think Festus is like, this is what's going on with Paul. He just, maybe he's not sleeping because he's reading too many books or something. Your great learning is driving you. And what's remarkable is that Paul immediately appeals to Festus and to Agrippa with common sense, truth, and reason. He doesn't say, you know, well, Festus, I don't really know if it's true, but I just take it on faith. How many people have heard that? I mean, that is the Hallmark, you know, message, the Hallmark movie, the Hallmark Thanksgiving movie that you're going to watch this year. It's going to talk about faith like that. You know, like, I don't really know, <clears throat> but I hope it is. Like this kind of, well, well good grief, welcome to humanity, <laughs> That doesn't help anybody to kind of want good things to happen. We all want there to be a heaven. We don't want to die into this kind of like black cavern of non-existence where we never love again because we don't exist. Of course humans want there to be a life after death that's good and happy, that includes love and relationship. But it's not enough to just want it. got How do we know it's real? How do we, how would we know we're not just making this up? And this isn't just a, like some cry at, quiet desire of the heart. So Festus, he doesn't tell Festus, you I just take it on faith, Festus. I don't really know it's true. You know, he doesn't say, well, you know, Christianity just works for me. You know, it, it might not work for you, and that's okay if it doesn't work for you. But it works for me, so it makes me happy, and so I'm going to do it. So this is, again, like another popular distortion of any religion. You know, it's okay. You can be religious. You can be not religious. It's just... Whatever you wanna be, if it works, then do it. How many people have heard this? We all have. You ever hear that popular distorted definition from the Sunday school kid about what is faith? Faith is believing something that you know isn't true. (laughs) Right? It's funny because that's kind of like, I think how a lot of people feel. Like the kids have this ability to say things that aren't really popular to say but like are true (laughs) but that's not what faith is paul points to verifiable undisputable facts he doesn't say any of this he says festus i'm not crazy i'm not insane and we're going to see why in a moment it's not an uncommon attitude toward Christian doctrine, especially today, that it just sounds a little crazy. R.C. Sproul comments, though, Christianity is about sober truth because it's real. Verifiable, actual, real events that happens. It's coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, not because we hope he exists or we, ho- we wish he does, but because he does. And we're going to see what what, um, this means in a second for us. So this is Paul's response. Paul's response. What I'm saying, Festus, Agrippa, is true and reasonable, and the king knows it. This is what he says. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him because I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it wasn't done in a corner. Now, we're, we're going to start to unpack. I just said to you, this is true and real, um, why? How come? How do we know this? Paul says the events of the life of Christ did not happen in a corner. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the person of Jesus Christ. He's saying Agrippa knows this because Agrippa is a Jew, and Agrippa is from here. He knows. He is seen. So he turns to Agrippa, and he says, You know this, Agrippa, this is true and reasonable. It wasn't done in a corner. And friends, Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ was not done in a corner. You know that the Mormon um, faith, the Mormon religion, began in New York, did you know this, by Joseph Smith? Um, Smith claimed to have special revelation from special golden tablets given to him by an angel. No one was there, and no one saw the tablets except him. That's what Paul means. That's in a corner. But you see, you know, you might have reason, you, we might have reason to doubt, and we should doubt if just someone makes this fantastic claim that nobody has seen, that nobody can testify to except one person. But, but Paul says, not so with Christianity. The life, works, words, and miracles, resurrection of Jesus Christ We're not done in a corner, and here's what this means. Paul knew it, Agrippa knew it, and Agrippa couldn't deny it. We're going to see later, he says, what what does he say? Are you trying to convert me so quickly? That's a non-answer, isn't it? He doesn't say, I agree with you, Paul, or I don't agree with you, Paul. He's such a good politician, Agrippa. He says, are you trying to persuade me so quickly? So everyone there is kind of like, what does Agrippa mean by that? Is he persuaded? Maybe he's not. It's it's a non-answer. And, and he's got to do that because Paul puts him in a corner. And he says, to, he says this, consider the things. What are the things not done in the corner? Let's talk about those for a minute because this is what's going to appeal to your reason and to mine. First, the miracles of Jesus Christ. These were not done in a corner. Okay, John chapter 21 verses tw- verse 25 says, Jesus did many other things. What's, what's John talking about there? He is talking about the, the, the miracles of Christ and the teachings of Christ, okay? So what we have in the Gospels is, isn't, aren't the only things that Jesus did. So he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What does that mean? That's got to mean something very simple. And if you just take the Gospels by themselves, hundreds of, Thousands of people witnessed the miracles of Jesus Christ. They didn't happen in a corner. The Gospels alone record dozens of Jesus' miracles, and there were thousands of people who were there who saw it happen. I smelled the rotting corpse of Lazarus. I was there. You could have asked anybody. In that, If you were alive then, I mean. You could have asked the people, did this happen? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. He was on the water. He was walking on the water. Lazarus was dead for three days. We wrapped him up, and he walked out. You see, these are verifiable historical accounts. These happened, and there were thousands of people that knew it, and that's why he looked at Agrippa, and he said, Agrippa, you know this isn't crazy. This wasn't done in a corner. And you know, that statement should ring down the corridors of time, 2,000 years to our modern ears. These weren't done in a corner, friends. The miracles of Christ show that he is who he says he is. The king knew it. These things had not escaped his notice the text says. If anyone at any moment at that time doubted that some miracle happened, they could have just easily spoken to any of the living witnesses. It would have been completely debunked and there'd be no Christian faith. They couldn't do it because it was true. It happens. That's what gave it traction. Second, okay, so that's the miracles of Christ appeal to the reason. The resurrection in the empty tomb was not done in a corner. If one person, just imagine this, okay. You know, I'm, you know, I don't know, Stephen. And I'm, you know, 35 years old. And I say, you know, I was in Galilee and around the time of Christ. You know, just pretend with me. <laughs> I was in Galilee. And, you know, I saw Jesus, I think. Right? You did? He's alive? Right, that one, so one person testifying that they saw Jesus. No way no way. Who are you? What's your name? Where were you? Are you sure it was him? If it was one person, even if it was two, there would be cause to doubt, like maybe Jesus isn't alive. But do you know that in 1 Corinthians 15, in one occasion, Jesus Christ appeared to 500 people. Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, said, listen, I'm writing an orderly account of everything that happened to Jesus Christ. If you doubt it, just go to the people that saw it. They're alive still. You see? That's why the, the church gained traction. It appeals, Paul is appealing to their reason. Jesus is alive. 500 people saw him all at once. And listen, if you're hallucinating a ghost, that's a popular kind of counter-argument to say, oh, people just hallucinated. They wanted him to be alive, and so they just kind of thought they saw him, some kind of vision. All right, fine. But if you, you, know, if you know anything about, about psychology, and I'm not a psychologist, but I've read articles on this, see, people don't hallucinate all the same thing. You know, 500 people in a group don't hallucinate one thing. So they're not hallucinating. 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people at the same time saw Jesus Christ, appear to them and speak to them. The disciples ate with with him after he rose from the dead. One wise scholar noted that Agrippa Agrippa replied, I I mentioned this, are you trying to persuade me? He didn't say, you know, this guy's nuts. Does anyone know what he's talking about? He didn't do that because he couldn't do that. Because there were thousands of people that had seen Jesus Christ perform these miracles, hundreds of them seen, seen his um, appearance to them after he had resurrected from the dead. He couldn't just cry insanity because it would be a lie. He knew it would be a lie. There'd be a long line of people who would make the same claim that Paul was making. So he can't admit that he's crazy, that Paul's crazy. But yet he also doesn't want to turn from his sins and follow Jesus. You see, that's, that's the challenge. Oftentimes, it's not that we're not persuaded. It's that we just like our stuff. We just want our things. We want multiple sexual partners or just an easy life, right? Like we're, we're, we don't, we're not obligated to follow Jesus. And that's really why we end up not following Jesus oftentimes. So he can't admit he's crazy, but he doesn't want to turn from his sin and fall. no. okay, so we looked at the, the miracles of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. What's the third thing that we can appeal to our senses with, our reason with? I think, number three, the person of Jesus Christ himself. And just consider this with me. The person of Jesus Christ was well-known. He was a well-known figure who had not only performed these miracles and resurrected from the dead, but spoke many sermons, showed great compassion to all sorts of people, his, he would have been known in that time frame that he existed and what he was like and what he said. It's beyond reason to think that Jesus, the person Jesus, can be considered good or kind or great unless he is who he says he is. And let me explain to you why. Today, it's often, you know, many people who aren't Christians will say, oh, I I think Jesus is great. I think he's got a lot of wisdom, a great teacher, good moral leader. And I got to just kind of cry bunk on all of that. He is not good. If he is not who he said he was, he is not good, he is not great, and he is not kind. He's actually very evil. Let me explain to you why. Consider the sheer volume of people who directly knew him and personally died for him because of a lie. He was claiming to be the Messiah, God in the flesh, the only savior for sin. If he is lying and all these people die for that lie, he is not good. I would I would actually encourage you to never read the Bible if that's who he is. So he is not good. You know, Lewis the, the CS Lewis that great, you know, the uh, trifecta I think it's called that um, that Jesus is either a liar, he is either a lunatic, or is the Lord. We cannot, we do not have the right to call him good unless he's the Lord. You see? It's clear that Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. It's the only, that his name is the only name by which man can be saved and escape the awful consequences of sin. And if that's that's not true, Then Jesus is really nuts or he's really evil. See? If it is true, he's the Lord. He's the Lord. So Paul appeals to reason. We can't reject Christianity because we don't like it. Get in line. Shouldn't, look, I've said this to to you guys before. Wouldn't you expect that if there is a God, that there's going to be something about him that you don't like? (laughs) Right? Because you're not him. You're not him. If, if you're God, if you liked everything about God, what does that tell you? That you're God. You're your God. You made him. That's why nothing about, you offe- about him offends you. Because you made him up. He's you. If there is a God and that God is not us, he's going to rub us the wrong way sometimes. We're not going to understand him. It's not going to make sense. What he says at times isn't going to make sense and we're going to have to work through it. We should expect that if there's a God and he is real. See? So Paul, um, so so we can't reject Christianity because there are elements of it that we don't like. We should expect that if there is a God, that there are going to be elements about him that we we won't like. And just kind of remember this, Paul was more offended at Jesus Christ and Christianity than you are. He just was. He, for a living, went around from city to city in foreign cities, hunting Christians to imprison them and kill them. Have you done that? So he's more offended than you. (laughs) <laughs> he's more offended than you about about christianity and christian doctrine but yet nevertheless he came to know that jesus christ is alive and he couldn't deny it okay his reason couldn't escape him uh could not escape that this happened so paul appealed to reason and then he appeals to scripture um in verse 22 so this is our second point he appeals to reason and then scripture in verse 22 he says I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. So now he's appealing to their Jewish kind of religious sensibilities. Agrippa, you say you believe in the Hebrew Old Testament. You do realize that everything I'm saying is right there in your Bible. (laughs) Why am I on trial? You should be a Christian. This is his logic. Let me explain this a little bit more. So I am saying nothing in verse 22 beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would, here's what the the Old Testament says, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, so that he would raise from the dead, as the first to rise from the dead, he would bring the message of light to his own people, that's the Jews, and to the Gentiles, that's everybody else. So the message of Christ wasn't for one particular group of people, it was for all people. See? See? In verse 27, he says to Agrippa, point blank, I can imagine him just kind of looking right down his eyes. Do you believe this? In other words, do you believe your own Bible, <laughs> Agrippa? Do you believe the prophets? He said, well, I don't believe the Old Testament. You say, okay, fast forward now to us. I don't believe the Old Testament. Well, c- could you just consider just the supernatural power of this, of what, what's going on here? The Old Testament making prophecies about christ hundreds thousands of years before they would happen and fulfilled in him perfectly that's supernatural that's miraculous that in a sense should appeal to your own reason paul is holding agrippa's nose to the fire now right he's appealing to his reason and now he's saying not only is he not not he said agrippa this, this hasn't been done in a corner. You know that. Oh, and by the way, you believe the Bible, right? The Old Testament, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it. I believe the Bible. This is Agrippa, right? I believe the Bible. Okay, you know it says everything that, that happened with Jesus, the Bible says would happen. Oh, and what does he say? Are you trying to persuade me so quickly? <laughs> Again, that non-answer. Agrippa knew the Old Testament and he knew what happened to Jesus Christ, he should have done the math. He should have said, oh, the Bible said this would happen, and it did. No honest Jew who believed the Old Testament scriptures could deny this. So (laughs) Agrippa says, instead of denying it or accepting it, you think you can persuade me so quickly. Recall what Paul refers to in the prophets. What's What's he talking about? What do the prophets say about Jesus. Well, we, we introduced this a little bit last week, but specifically he's using Isaiah chapters 42, 49, 52, and 53. And all of this says that Christ would suffer, that he would rise from the dead, that he would proclaim light to both Jew and Gentile, that he is the suffering servant who would suffer and die for the sins of his people. That's Christ. That's the, pro- the prophecy about Christ to be raised, and to be highly exalted. You know, friend, the scriptures tell you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that he came to suffer for you in your place, to give you a hope and a home. And that's your hope. That's your home. What's your home? It's not, not, you know, your mom's home and those places are great, but there's an eternal home. There's an eternal family, an eternal dad, an eternal marriage, and all of life, and all of life's pains even, should point us to that. that. In other words, the reason we want a good, loving, and kind dad, the reason why we want a happy, healthy, whole marriage relationship is because we were created to have the Heavenly Father be our dad. We were created to be married to, to him. And you say, "Well, wow, that's getting a little weird. <laughs> you know, I'm not making that up. Scripture says that. Ephesians chapter five: Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and this is a great mystery. It's talking about Christ and the church. This is all in Ephesians five. We are when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you are destined to an eternal marriage with your heavenly Father in heaven. Isn't that incredible? Now you're getting weird because you just called him Father, and this is weird now. (laughs) Right. I know some of this is, these terms are some, somewhat imagery, and, and we think of marriage in terms of physical marriage, and that's why it gets weird in our minds. But just think of, of marriage in the terms of intimate affection that's unbroken, one for the other. See? And that's what's promised for you. That's so much better. And, and by the way, when you know that, when you really come to believe that, it takes the pressure off of your physical marriages. Because you're not expecting them to be God. You're not expecting them to fulfill you or complete you in ways that they never can. God can. And when you know that and when you only go to him for that, it just makes everything else better. It takes the pressure off. Now this is remarkable. Paul took down every obstacle um, Agrippa could have put up. right? His reason, the scriptures, and finally the heart. And this is the third one. Let's look at this. Verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I don't care. I do pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Now let's unpack this, this is important. Agrippa barks, are you trying to convert me, Paul? And Paul says, Um, yeah. (laughs) This is my Kyle's short version in translation of scripture. Are you trying to convert me, Paul? Um, yeah, I am. (laughs) I am. That's why, actually why I'm here. And Paul, Paul responds, I'm not only, by the way, trying to get you to come to know who Jesus Christ is. I want everyone in this room to. I want you to know who he is. Because, here's why. Because you have chains. You say, we don't like this at all. You know, isn't conversion? We don't like this talk in our culture, right? Come to faith in Jesus. Just let everybody be what they want to be. Well, I think everyone should have the freedom to be what they want to be. But I, I will say this. If you want to be really free, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because you have chains on you. And the only way to make those chains fall off, friend, is by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, so Paul says, yeah, I am, and everyone else in this room. You can almost kind of, he's, he says, I'm not only, I'm not only trying to um, convince you, Agrippa, but everyone else in this room except for these chains. He's wearing chains. He's in prison. You can kind of almost imagine him lifting these up and shaking them at this moment, except for these chains, because he's trying to show them something. He's trying to show them that they have chains, that their spiritual trains are binding them up, that they're after happiness and wholeness and peace and purpose, and they can't find it, and it's, they're, they're shackled. He's appealing to their hearts, you see? Not only does our reason testify to Christ, not only do the scriptures testify to Christ, your hearts testify to Christ. Our hearts testify to them. Don't you know that your hearts are chained up? That's why they testify to Jesus. Because you all, if we're, if we're really truthful with each other, we're just going to admit it. That as, as relentless as our searching can be, we got some kind of ball and chain on us and we don't know why it's there. And all of our lives, we're just trying to kick it off. We're trying to figure out how. Three times in this conversation, and remember, this is a trial. Three times in this conversation, Paul preaches to the gospel to Agrippa and to the hearers in verses 17, 20, and 22. Let me read them to you. <clears throat> I am sending you to them, he's testifying now, of, of his own conversion. I am sending, so this is Jesus Christ speaking to Paul. He's testifying to, to the hearers. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. You see, imagine sitting in the room like, okay, So what Paul is telling me is that Jesus sent him to us to turn us from darkness to light. What's the implication? We're in the dark. There is a darkness, and you need light to shine in. You need it. I am sending you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. So that they might receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, the gospel. Verse twenty, he says it again. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. He's telling them to turn to God. See, and then in verse, again in verse twenty-two, I stand here and testify that the Messiah should suffer as the first to rise from the dead would bring. The message of light to his people and to the Gentiles. Just notice some of the words here. Light. Eyes that are opened. Forgiveness. Sanctified. Sanctity. A place, a home. You see, friend, your human heart wants all of that stuff. And, and I can testify this to this myself. Without Christ, I didn't know where I could find it. I thought I did. But with Christ, it all came It all came on. The light came on. My eyes were opened. I was in the light. My sins were forgiven. You know, a lot of you, we don't talk like that in our world today, but a lot of your striving is to have your sins forgiven. You know, maybe this saying it like this will help you. A lot of your striving in life is to erase past guilt shame. The Bible calls that sin. And ultimately, a lot of times our guilt and shame comes from the way that we've treated other people. But you know, the, really, the, the real person we've offended is God. Against you, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned, David says. Now David had committed adultery and then murdered her husband. And he says, he has the nerve to say, Against you, God, alone have I sinned. So friends, the guilt and shame that you feel from past mistakes is because God is holy and you've sinned against him. You say, oh, that's terrible news. That's bad. I don't feel good. Well, you're about to if you believe what I'm about to say because Jesus Christ came to forgive you. He came to die the death you deserved to die. He did. That was the coming of Christ. To give you light, to open your eyes, to forgive you sins, to give you an eternal home in heaven with him. And to start that kingdom home right here, right now. Amen? The human heart knows something is wrong, that we're strangers in this world, that there's more to life, that we are sinners, that we carry guilt, brokenness, and death. And every soul on this earth is after expiation, freedom, and resolution. And friend, find it in Jesus Christ. See, that's the heart. Paul is appealing to their heart now. They know something is wrong with them, and they also can have freedom in Christ when they put faith in him. Agrippa determines that Paul, this is Agrippa's determination. he, he, He says, you know, Paul's not deserving of neither chains nor prison. He gets up and he leaves. Now, why, why would a man, Paul, who could have been set free, chose, choose not to be free? And John Stott and R.C. Sproul, I think, have some comments that I want to share that I think are great. Stott said, he wanted the king's salvation, not his favor. Right? And I just think about that as a Christian. What suffering am I willing to take on myself for the good of someone else? R.C. Sproul said, his heart was burdened by their chains, not by his. The only way, Christian friend, oh Christians, if you just pay attention for a minute. If you guys were sleeping the whole time, okay, wake up. The only way that you won't be burdened by physical chains, Christian friends, is if you know that you will have an eternity of chainless life and joy. That's it. That's how Moses did it. Moses left. You remember in Hebrews? Moses was like. I am um, in the family of the Pharaoh, the greatest and most powerful family on earth at the time. He says, I'm leaving it. And not only that, he was rich and had lots of stuff. I'm leaving that. And not only that, what I'm heading to, what I'm going into is going to be a lot of suffering. I'm going there. What is wrong with this guy? You know what the scripture says in Hebrews 11? The reason he could do it is because he had an eternal home. He knew that he had a better family in heaven than the Egyptian family. He knew that, that God had greater pleasure for him than the pleasures that Egypt could offer. And Christian friend, if you're suffering, if you can't get over, if you can't be happy, and you can't have joy, could I suggest to you that it's because you love this world. Something has happened in your faith. I know that's hard. And, and let me just say right now, before you start throwing rocks at me, I have done this. <laughs> I have done this I have loved this world and it's caused me pain and suffering, and I can't handle critiques anymore, and I can't handle chains anymore. But when I remember, oh, okay, this is, this, none of this matters because of what God has done for me. It just it doesn't matter anymore. So, so here is Paul. I, he wanted the king's salvation, not his favor. His heart was burdened by their chains, not his. The final appeal Paul made before his brief moment in time, excuse me, this was the final appeal Paul made before his brief moment in time persuading this great, great and small crowd was over. The last time he would ever speak to these folks again. The text, text simply says, Agrippa stood up and left. All the obstacles were taken down the reason obstacles, the scripture obstacles, the heart obstacles. He should have been persuaded. But the cost of discipleship was too steep for Agrippa. You know that the, the King James Version says that Agrippa's response to, um, you remember I've said, you, um, I, can you, you think you can persuade me so quickly? You know the King James Version says, almost thou persuadest me. Wow. You know, friend, you can leave this morning and be almost persuaded, and you'll miss it. And I just want to encourage you before we get up and leave to not be almost persuaded. Trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and you will be. Let's pray. God, I pray that we wouldn't be like the rich young ruler. Who, because we have so much possession, so much passion, so much pleasure, that we aren't willing to follow Christ. Help us to see the great irony in that. Because your word says that when we follow Christ, there are pleasures at your right hand forevermore. That we will be crowned with glory. I pray, Lord, that we would want you more than this world, that you would help us to have faith and friend, if you're, not he- if you're here this morning and you're persuaded, trust in Christ. Don't be almost persuaded. Trust in Christ, be persuaded. And if that's you, if you're repenting of your sin and turning to Christ by faith this moment, know that the Holy Spirit of God is doing that for you, that there is a God, he's turning your heart. And, jump, and, and I just want to encourage you, please don't leave this room without telling me so that I can pray with you and rejoice with you. God, you are so good and we love you and we pray that you would just invigorate us to follow Christ. Help us to be fully persuaded. In Jesus' name, amen.